Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name's Jimmy Zabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. Download the Footy Live app today for all your stats, scores, highlights, news, opinions and podcasts. And what a podcast we've got for you today. It's cold outside and the winter is coming. We can't bring you a day at the beach, but that doesn't mean you can't get sandy. Mr. Sandy Roberts is stopping by to warm up our day with a toasty talk about his career, favourite calls and most memorable moments. Nick and Gordo, they'll be coming in too to bring you the Monday Review Panel on a Tuesday again. We're back on the Tuesday. And we'll also answer all your tweets and your emails. It was a big round of footy at the weekend. Round nine had a bit of a theme. It was a round of firsts. North got their first win. Melbourne are nine and zip for the first time since 1956. And footy fans probably needed a first aid kit as they put their hand through the TV during Friday night's game. One St Kilda supporter who won't be happy about that is Sandy Roberts, but before we get to him, you've got to sit through these horrible puns. Here is our wonderful round recap of round nine. Friday night's show should have come with a warning for strong language which may be offensive to some viewers. Knocked out in a tackle is a new dirty phrase while fans had to cover their eyes from grabs exposing drop balls. The Saints were sinners in front of goals which meant not even their king could spare them from execution. The determination and will from Smith was impressive. Brad got close to a permanent spot in the 22 and Guthrie became a camcorder four times, recording 36 possessions. Cats got a bit lucky, but we know they've got around nine lives. But once again, Cats always seem to land on their four points. Geelong by 21. Pies came out of the oven early for a hot first quarter against the Swans, but a strong Sydney breeze soon cooled them down. They had no buddy to lean on, but Franklin was enough of a distraction for Heaney to kick exactly the right amount of goals. Collingwood's skills weren't crisp, although Chris wasn't the main culprit. Just one goal in three quarters proved they're not too keen for more from Buckley. He couldn't hide the huge hickey that left the mark on the game, and the Swans' McLean record of three wins from their last four at home means Horse Longmire won't have a long face this week. Sydney by five goals. A Nobel Prize winner had the best birthday present of his life as North got a win down south. It was pretty larky too, coming back from 32 points during the second term. It looked like Clarko did a bit of homework but couldn't graduate to Uniac. Taylor made sure he garnered three goals in his first game of the year. And I mean, die would you even doubt him. Situation looks pretty awkward. I'm sure Kennett would have had a few curses after watching that. Kangaroos by seven points. The Q clash was a spew clash for the Suns as not even the Jew could stop Brisbane from playing dry footy. Lions played well for the Lions who made Gold Coast swallow their pride. It meant the Suns continue to go down while Fagan's men mix stay up the top. And once again, playing at home meant they didn't have the chance to forget their McCluggage. Brisbane by 73 points. In Saturday night's clash, Hogan looked like a hero and Isaac was coming home strong. Both greens looked healthy, but some work of art and a slim dusty was enough to get the Tigers in tune after a 28-point deficit. We could smell the Baker was making something nice at halftime, but his fourth quarter performance made sure Richmond tasted the bickies. It wasn't the greatest debut, but Hugo played like a boss. Ralph Smith's Tigers by four points. In the Doggies game against Port, Cody got his first sniff. We just couldn't wait, man. He kicked three as Astro Boy Norton rocketed to four. Libba was a liberator for Bont who kicked a couple and Wines wasn't strong enough to intoxicate Port's opponents. Boak tried to set sail for a comeback, but grey skies meant they could go no further. Hinkley's got a recipe for winning games, but against the big teams, maybe there's not enough Pal Pepper. Dogs by 19 points. 
They say hindsight is twenty twenty, but for Essendon it's twenty twenty one. With Nick Hines' thirty one touches proving that he is the best value recruit of the year so far. The Bombers had been caught on the runway just prior to victory takeoff three times already this season, losing by less than a goal. But against Frio, Essendon had enough petrol in the tank at the end to fly through the purple haze. Zach Merritt was paid his dues as angry Dockers put in overtime on the star midfielder on and off the ball, while Tabernard kept the bill under control for most of the game. It was a scrappy contest with everyone picking through leftovers, but in the end, Braden Ham was Essendon's flavour of choice, kicking the sealer, leaving his teammates happy as pigs in the mud. Essendon by seven points. It's official, the lids off the cheese platters in the MCC, as AFL's well-heeled fans cancel their chalet bookings and crack open bottles of 1956 vintage Grange. Not since then has footy tasted so good for Melbourne members. Was Captain Paddy crippled? Teague wouldn't say, but Carlton left another soggy MCG loss with more than just a case of the Blues. Tom McDonald had a farm of room in the forward line, and with that farm, he kicked three goals, as did Bailey Fritch, who was unperturbed by the fresh conditions. Cozzy kicked the pick of the majors for the day, however, with another goal of the year contender. When it rains, it pours in Melbourne, and the Demons faithful will be dancing every week in hopes for a wet season that ends a 57-year flag drought. To cap off round nine, it was the battle of the birds as the Eagles and Crows took to the West Coast skies, and it was Shane McAdam who flew the highest with the mark of the round, which surely won't have any magpie interference this time. Jumping Jack was back to steal the show, though, as West Coast long-time lover and darling rooted five. Crows looked all right at the start of the season, but now they're not in good nicks. The Eagles are just starting to get good grades, as the other students are all taking notice. This was another WA+. Plus. West Coast by 30 points. Today's guest is a broadcasting legend. This man has done it all in the sports media landscape through radio, television, news, and commentary. He entertained us through shows like World of Sport, brought big moments into our home such as the Olympics and AFL Grand Finals, and his friendly face and warm words made sure we enjoyed and consumed sports like never before. Perfection, excellence, and class are synonymous with his work. Bruce McAvaney described him as unflappable. Eddie Maguire said there was no one better, and for me... Oh, my hat. What more can you say? <laughs> Mr. Sandy Roberts, what a pleasure it is to have you on the gym session. Welcome. Nice to be with you, Jane. Nice to be with you. Uh, it's been a couple of years now since we've seen you on our screen. Sandy, what's life like for Sandy Roberts these days? Well, I'm enjoying retirement, I've got to say. I eased out. I was busy doing television and radio. Then I left television to just concentrate a little on radio for a few years and taking the slow process out. And now I've, uh, I'm, I'm a retiree uh, and enjoying it very much. There's lots to do, and uh, despite the COVID, life goes on. That, that saying I said earlier, oh, my hat, that was a trademark of yours, Sandy. Fox, Foxwood used it a, lit, a little bit in their promos. Where did that actually come from? That actually came from my father, who would say it um, when he was either frustrated or shocked. Yeah. And because I was brought up on a farm, there are lots of things that could happen and go wrong. And uh, it's one that I just 
vividly remembered and probably accidentally picked up and just ran with throughout my career as well. Yeah, well, that that farm you grew up in, that was in Lucendale, wasn't it? And in, uh, That's in South correct. Australia, did, yep. did you always want to be a sports broadcaster growing up there? And how did you how did you get that love for uh, sports and football? I guess. I think initially, James, I was very keen on radio and television, and I had visions of you know either being a radio announcer or doing variety or entertainment uh, on television when it came along. Yeah. And so as I went into radio and television, um, initially I went in as a uh, cadet journalist Mm -hmm. on Radio 6pm in Perth. And from there, I went into television through BCV8 Bendigo and then Channel 7 in Adelaide. And when you're working at those stations, if you're the general announcer, you're doing basically everything. You know, I mean everything. not just perhaps reading the news or reading the sport. Um, you're doing commercial and commercials. You, you're, you're you're learning the craft, and it's a, a really great way to learn. You know, mm. I know nowadays you've basically got to get a degree or go to university for three or four years, but that was learning the hard way, and I think still today it's the best way to learn. Yeah, well, you talk about the hard way. Is it true that you just you literally just walked into the radio station at Perth and asked for a job? We'll be back after a quick break. Exactly right, James. I got off the train, uh, came from Adelaide, going across the Nullarbor, and I walked into the city and I saw this sign with steps going downstairs, and it was Radio 6pm. So I thought, I'll go in there. And I chatted with the news director, a gentleman by the name of Barry Customs, did an audition, and uh, he said, when can you start? And so I, I said, the next day, and I did. Really? So that's it's just the that was one of those things, James, where it was the absolute luck of the draw. You know, they were they were keen to put someone on, and I just walked through the door at the right time. Yeah, we'll talk about luck. I mean, for luck for us, because you sat next to someone pretty special, didn't you? <laughs> De- Dennis Cometti was there in the radio station too. Well, yeah, I was uh, in the, in the news booth, and he was, I think, doing afternoons or could have been evenings, uh, early evenings. And uh, he, he was your rocky jockey, um, the disc jockey, Dennis. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, uh, that we sort of crossed paths then and then years later um, we're behind the microphone together. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it is extraordinary. How did, how did you actually end up in Melbourne? You mentioned that you were Channel 7 in Adelaide, but then you moved yep. over to, to Channel 7 in Melbourne. How did that come about? That came about... Uh, I was in Adelaide uh, working uh, as a general announcer and doing sport. I started doing Sandful, South Australian National Football League footy there. 
and uh, calling with guys like Ian Day, who was a South Adelaide legend, um, Dennis Airy, who played for Port Adelaide. So that was the grounding that sort of I got early on in life. And, and I guess also it, it made the decision for me that, hang on, I don't want to just be a, a general um, entertainer or anything like that. I want to do sport. Mm. So, and that's, that's the path I took. And what transpired in 1979 was that um, Channel 7, which in those days, James, wasn't a network as such. Channel 7 Adelaide was like a cousin yeah. of Channel 7 Melbourne and Sydney. So anyway, 7 picked up the rights to the Moscow Olympics and um, it was a pretty tough time because Malcolm Fraser was the Prime Minister, Russia was going to war with Afghanistan and uh, we were given, like the athletes, the Channel 7 broadcast team was given the option of going or not going. Mm -hmm. If we didn't go, it wouldn't be held against us. Anyway, Ron Casey, who was the head of Melbourne, um, put the list together for those that he wanted to take and uh, I, along with one other chap, a producer from Adelaide, were invited to go and, you know, it was the the greatest shock in my life. so I went over there with the team and it was while uh, we were over there that Ron Casey and Gary Fenton, who was uh, the executive producer, spoke to me and asked me would I be interested in moving to Melbourne. Well, having had a taste of South Australian footy, <laughs> I couldn't wait to say yes. So that was basically it after after Moscow, came back and moved to Melbourne. Hey, just quickly, when you went over to, to Moscow in 1980, is it true they sent over just 49, 49 of you to, to broadcast? And yep. now, nowadays, yep. I think there's about 300 they get sent over. Um, was it true that you, you got given the sports the morning of? And so how did you actually prepare for things like archery? Well, that's interesting because uh, you're right. What happened in those days, Ron Casey, who was our boss, yeah. uh, and did a fantastic job, by the way, um, but he, he would we'd always have a team breakfast in yeah. the morning, about half past seven or something like that, and he would then stand up and he'd run through who's doing what. Yeah. You know, Bill Collins, uh, you're doing kickboxing. Well, Bill was a legendary race caller, yeah. uh, so that was a fairly rude shock. And I, I remember that particular morning because he got that yeah. and uh, I got archery. Mm. Um, well, I didn't know a lot about archery. <laughs> I was aware of Robin Hood, but yeah. that's about my limitation. So what you had to do, you had no choice but to do a crash course yeah. of what given. So you'd go to the International Broadcast Centre and pick up any media information you could. Um, but the other thing in those days too, James, not all of it was always what we presented was not always live. So... Yeah. Um, you might be able to go to the archery, they would record the vision, then you could go back, look at it, and sit down, do a script, and put it together. So uh, yeah, yeah. that made it a little easier, uh, or you, and you could make sure you got your facts right instead of flying blind mm-hmm. doing it live. But a lot of it was live. And the other thing, uh, because we only took 49, you could get around it by taking certain sports on the world feed which was just fed out to everyone and countries had the option of picking stuff out of that or not. Mm. 
Sandy, I wanted you to. Uh, I wanted to ask you about World of Sport, and some of our listeners might not understand just how big it was. It did pave the way for shows like the Footy Show with that entertainment and fun. Can you explain quickly what that, that what that was like? This is Channel Seven Melbourne calling in stations throughout Victoria, South Australia and Southern New South Wales. A big welcome to World of Sport. Oh, it was a, a fantastic initiation. You're turning, you talk about um, a learning process, James. Well, if you wanted to learn about television, live television, then the place to be was on the set of World of Sport because you had true vaudevillians like Uncle Doug Elliott, Bill Collins, Ron Casey was the ringmaster, but it wasn't just footy. You know, you'd have the wood chop and you'd have to watch out for the flying chips. You'd have the roller cycling derby. You'd have the lawn bowls and you'd almost go to sleep with the little lilting music. Uh, it, it was a bit of everything, you know, yeah. racing, trotting, um, live commercials. And Uncle Doug was an absolute terror uh, doing that sort of thing with live commercials. I mean, the initiation... And I, I copped it in particular because yeah. one, I was a South Australian and an imposter, and uh, two, I took over from Ron. So what you did in those days, when you had to do a commercial or whatever, uh, we didn't have auto cue. We had these huge cue cards, yeah. big like sheets of paper, and uh, the script written in large lettering. And so I'd be going to the commercial area and getting ready to just say do a 30-second car commercial mm. and I'd start and then Uncle Doug would just walk over very casually with a cigarette lighter, light the bottom of the script paper and so what I would have to do is suddenly speed up <laughs> so that I'd beat the flames. I'd yeah. have to go as quickly as I possibly could uh, oh. before it all burned. So that's the sort of initiation yeah. you got there. And it was, look, it was live. And when you've got people like Lou Richards and Jack Dyer, yeah. uh, it was just made for fun. Like if it was relatively quiet, Ron Casey could just go over to Lou, whisper something in his ear, and he would stir up Jack. Yeah. And then, bang, then the sparks would fly. But that rarely happened because they could just do it on their own. Yeah. It was a fantastic, it was a wonderful school. For you know, a young broadcaster. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you used to have a couple of drinks before the show. Was that correct? Well, they had a little um, room off to the side, yeah. um, and it was run by Ron Carr, an old friend of uh, an acquaintance that Ron Casey knew, and I think he just looked after him. Mm-hmm. He was a little man, uh, stick insect. He was tiny, um, and he was the barman. And you'd always find Jack or. Lou uh, and Ron in there, either that or upstairs. Now, the the first day I did, um, I actually took over from Ron uh, as the host. I went into the studio and I was obviously pretty nervous. Yeah. Anyway, about an hour before the show, I the floor manager came up and said to me, um, Ron wants to see you upstairs in his office. I thought, oh, heck, what now? So up I went. And there is uh, the triumvirate of Ron Casey, Doug Elliott, and Bill Collins, uh, all up there. This is this is ten o'clock in the morning, yeah. <laughs> ha- having a, a glass of scotch. Yeah. And Ron said, "Come in, come in. What would you like to drink?" I said, "I'm fine, thanks. I, I, I don't want any." He said, "What would you like to drink?" So I, I can't remember. What I said I might have yeah. said a beer or whatever you're having. 
Uh, but that was the man. He just wanted to settle me down, mm-hmm. you know, make sure I was happy, everything was all right. And he was he was a, a wonderful mentor. Yeah. Michael. Yeah, that's great. My my dad said it was it was absolutely massive. He used to say that um, the local priests used to complain because everyone would run run straight out of church so they wouldn't miss the world of sport on a Sunday. Well, no, we we actually we had a basically a priest uh, who we would use if there were illnesses or deaths in sport or whatever. Yeah, and and he he often told Lou Richards that um, once once world of sport started at eleven o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, the flock just disappeared. <laughs> uh, you know, the numbers dropped in the church because yeah. everyone was home. What better to have world of sport and a Sunday roast? That's right. Hey, Sandy, people have asked you before uh, your favourites, and it's hard for you to pick a favourite uh, moment or a favourite game you called, but you always remember your firsts. Your first grand final yep. was 1990. What was your memory yep. of that? Uh, probably Terry Danaher and Gavin Brown. Mm. Um Terry was a wonderful player, um, and he, he wasn't a dirty player at all. But on that particular day, he, something, someone pressed a wrong button on him, and well, he knocked Gavin Brown out. Now, in those days, there was no. This was before half time. In those days, there was no uh, concussion rule or anything like that. So Brown, to his credit, came back on the ground in the second half and. And in many ways, inspired Collingwood because Essen went in the game as a warm favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, what did Collingwood do? They kept Essen in the five goals in a grand final. So, uh, and because it's your first one, I mean, you've you've never done it before, so it's just it's a bit like the, the Moscow Olympic Games. I'd probably think more about than any other games that I've done. It was my first one. Yeah. Um, it's just a great memory. I mean. I've been lucky enough to do some very good grand finals, mm-hmm. um, but the, the first one does does stick with you. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a Collingwood supporter, yeah. either, by the way. Yeah, no, you do. You support St Kilda, I believe. And I was gonna, I was gonna ask you that. Is that was that important to you that not a lot of people knew who you barracked for? Well, I made a conscious effort, James, um, to not. Yeah. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest. Um, I didn't cover St Kilda a lot of, you know, I might have done a, I probably did 50 or 60 games over the my career, but mm-hmm. um, I did make a conscious effort, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't an absolutely passionate supporter. I was brought up on St Kilda yep. because where I lived on the farm at Lucendale, we had no television, we only had radio, and the radio we had because we were virtually on the border of Victoria and South Australia, was Victorian radio. And that's where I first heard of guys like Carl Bitterich and Brian Minot and Ross Smith and all these wonderful, Ian Stewart, all these wonderful players mm. from St Kilda. And because my father barracked for them, I would listen to it at the same time. And I guess I, I just sort of hung on to it as my career unfolded. Mm. You've you've had a, a lot of famous calls now. You know, 1989, obviously Gary, that Gary Ablett goal, the Billy Brownless, you're the King of Geelong, the most important kick of his career, Tony Lockett. Do you have a favourite moment that you called? Is is there one that's memorable that stands uh, above all else? Well, again, gee, it's a good question, James. Um, again, I I think the the Gary Ablett goal because. Uh, 
I I took a punt. Yeah. That it was he was going to get it, and I just simply said before the goal, the ball had gone through. What more can you say? And fortunately for me, it was a goal. Now I would have looked fairly stupid if it had missed and been a behind. Take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ablett. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? And then the other one was, I don't know whether you remember, but in 1990, the guy who finished up with the ball was Darren Mullane. Yeah, yeah and he broke On thumb. a half-back flank yeah. with a broken thumb. Yeah. And I... And we hadn't won uh, a grand final since 1958. And I think I said, finally, the drought is broken. From the back pocket, this will be probably the last kick. He need not even kick. The drought is over. 32 years. Um, you sort of remember things like that, but, you know... Um, I'm not one of these people that sort of writes down a whole lot of things and has to remember to say them. If it comes out of my mouth, then it's just natural, you know. You, yeah. You call it how you feel it, and um, yeah. But there are a lot of a lot of good things. One I remember, James, and I I don't know why I remember it, but um, I also did a lot of golf over many years, and in the golf was huge. And well, we had um, probably we we would cover the New South Wales Open, for example, the Victorian Open, Australian Open, Australian Masters, Johnny Walker Classic. Mm. And then we had skins games. We had test matches. Well, we had a, a test match was between England and Australia. Obviously, Greg Norman had captain Australia. Nick Faldo had captain England. Well, I mean, we were able to draw the all these big names out here, yeah. and in skins mm. games. We brought out a gentleman by the gentleman by the name of Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Arnold Palmer. Uh, there's no no bigger names, uh, really, in the history of golf. And I always remember Jack Nicholas had a bit of a habit of talking to himself during a skins game, and he had a putt of about 15 feet uh, the ninth hole because you'd stop after nine, go in for have lunch and a break, and then come back. And he was sitting, they were mic'd up, and he was sit, he just sitting over the ball, ready to putt. And he said, come on now, Jackson, make this and we'll have a really nice lunch. And you guessed it, he put it straight in the cup. So, yeah, yeah just little things like that. Yeah. It's nice to remember. Yeah, that's great. And from you, like you said, it, was all, it wasn't, nothing was scripted, so it just came to your mind. Because no. a lot of commentators do prepare things like they're, you know, different lines they're going to say and that sort of thing. But you, it just came natural. How did that come about? Yeah. Did you, you realise you had a gift from early on? Well, I, I think, no, the other thing I thought, I mean, you, if you if you write it down, you are so conscious, oh, look, I've got to try and get this line in. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fraught with danger because, you know, it, it may not work. Sometimes it's fantastic, but no, it's a bit like... Um, race cause and, and with the Melbourne Cup, um, most of them, and uh, Bill Collins, you know, who was a wonderful, wonderful caller, known as the accurate one, but he he never scripted anything. And, you know, what the man calls over 30 Melbourne Cups. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just think the natural, and I think 
it doesn't sound for, for the person sitting at home, it doesn't sound as if you've set it up. It sounds yeah. it sounds more like it's come from your heart, you know. You obviously love the sport, whether it's racing or football or for tennis. And that passion tells in the way you call mm-hmm. instead of reading something. Yeah. Can you tell me about the, the day there was a pig at full forward? <laughs> uh, do you want me to tell you or do you want Tony Locker to tell you? <laughs> well, I actually know the story yeah. um, because uh, the guy rang me a couple of years later mm. And he was a Victorian who was making a con. He told his friends, I'm going to go to Sydney and I'm going to let a pig out under the ground. And they thought, well, you're just stupid. That, that won't happen. Anyway, he packed his bags, got on the train, went to Sydney, then looked up in the yellow pages for piggeries close to Sydney, mm. uh, bought himself a Hessian bag, and went out to this piggery, bought the pig, not a huge pig, bought it back, wrote the plugger with a red texter on his back and put the number four on it. He, he spelt plugger wrongly, by the way. <laughs> um, and then the, the next thing was getting, and this is what people would wonder, how did yeah, he get it into the ground? Exactly. At the, there is a small underground entrance. You go down these steps. And if you kept on walking, you would get out onto the ground. It was for the players and the media. And there was a lift there so the media could just go straight up. The players, of course, could just go straight to the dressing rooms. But it was it was at ground level. Mm. Um, and so he, to his credit, got through that. Because you, you know, you have someone on the door, but I don't know how, but he got through. And uh, went and sat in the front or second front row. Yeah. And uh, uh, as we know, at one stage, opened the bag and out came the pig. Well, Dennis was calling at the time. And so I was just looking around the field and the ball was basically up the other end. And um, I, I just, again, it was just natural. I just suddenly virtually interrupted Dennis and I said, there's a pig at full forward. And Dean got the shock of his life and uh, then we had to catch it. Well, um, that's a trivia question in itself. And Darren Holmes was the one that uh, caught the pig and pushed it back over the fence. But yeah, the guy wasn't charged. He, he didn't receive anything. He's it's just a practical joker. But um, uh, I know that Tony wasn't impressed by it for a number mm. of years, but he's mellowed as time has gone by. Yeah, that's good. Can laugh about <laughs> it now. Yeah. Well, what an effort, though, to actually get the pig there. That That is yeah. incredible. Yeah, he was a man on a mission. That's it. Speaking about laughing about something, and I know you can laugh at yourself sometimes, Sandy, so this is why I'll ask you about it. A lot of people do. I had to ask you about the Leanne Dick story. Now, for I knew you, I I just had this funny feeling you were holding that to last. I was, I was, I was. I'm sorry, I've got to bring it up. Yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. James, it was 37 years ago. People have got to move on. But... (laughs) It was, it, well, it remains one of the classics. Um, well, in a nutshell, uh, the Mount Gambier Cup was conducted every year and I covered it for the local television station and they in turn would send it out to other regional stations like Ballarat, etc. 
So, and one of the features uh, they made of the carnival was to have a guest, either a Miss Victoria, Miss South Australia, or Miss Australia, whatever. This year it was a, this particular year it was a Miss Australia, and her name was Leanne Vick, and I was the MC, and I was uh, hosting from the um, uh, mounting yard, so it was pretty congested. And I had a the general manager of the station was a gentleman by a friend, a friend I knew well, Tony Phillips. He was he had a microphone about fifteen twenty feet away from me, so in case anything happened to me because people tread on the wires and leads, whatever, he could take over. So anyway, I did an interview with Leanne. It's a pre-recorded. And uh, we the program went to air at 12 o'clock, featured two races, a, a hurdle and the Mount Gambier Cup. So uh, we go to air. They play the recorded interview I did with Leanne, um, which I did down in the mounting yard. And then we get ready, you know, did a few other things and then got ready for the hurdle. Anyway, someone in my earpiece, they tell me, uh, look, they're going to delay the, uh, the hurdle because the horse has thrown a plate. So we went to a break and during the break, the producer again said in my ear, look, find someone to interview um, because they're going to take a while to do this, fix this plate. And uh, just grab someone wherever you can. Have a look around. And I'm looking around and time's going by. And I said to him, mate, there's no one here uh, of interview status. I said, the only person I can see is Leanne Dick. And I've already interviewed her and that interview's gone to there. And he said, no, 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 quick, grab her. Stand by, we're coming back in 10 seconds. So I get her over and they cue me and I... I just said, welcome back to picturesque Glen Burnie Racecourse, Mount Gambier. Still with me is Miss Australia, Leanne Cox, uh, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, she turned to stone and I struggled to keep a straight face. With us in uh, Leanne Cox and uh, Leanne Dick, I should say. And Leanne, it's going to be very interesting to, uh, we come to the stage now, and that is, I guess, fashions on the field. And uh, we're looking at some of the best-dressed ladies that we can find here in Mount Gambier. And I think what we might do is have a look at one or two of them now, and individually uh, we'll just see exactly what they were at uh, Leanne Cox. And so what I did, I looked over towards Tony Phillips, <laughs> who had an earpiece as well, and I thought he... He's a professional. He'll pick it up and take over. Yeah. He was on his knees with tears streaming down his face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to get out of it myself. But yeah. All is forgiven. She's. I mean, we've been in touch since. She's a lovely lady. Yeah, that, and she can laugh. Yeah, that's so. good. She got you back too, didn't she? She called you Randy for your sixtieth. Yeah, yeah, she did. <laughs> she did. Yeah. So we're even now. That's it. It's funny what her last name is now as well. It's uh, Cockerel. Cockerel. There you go. So I wasn't that far off. You weren't far I? off. <laughs> Perfect, Sandy. <laughs> hey, with all my guests, I like to uh, do 10 quick questions to end off. So the first thing that comes to your mind, Sandy, we can do yep. that? Okay. Good. All right. Yep. What's your favourite food? Oh, favourite movie? Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Your favourite current commentator? Uh... James Brayshaw. Oh, nice one. Nat- nat- natural. Yeah, natural, brilliant. Your favourite player of all time? Gary Abbott Senior. Mm, I feel you'd say that. The best athlete you've ever interviewed? Jack Nicholas. 
who was the hardest person to interview? Oh. Oh. <laughs> there was one. When I came over here, it was a thin bowler. I'd just come over here yeah. uh, to Melbourne, and uh, Peter Landy sent me out to interview this guy who was been recalled into the test team. Mm-hmm. And every answer he gave me was no, yes, no, yes. So he gave me nothing. nothing. And I thought, well, is this how tough it is over here in Melbourne? But uh, Well, that's he, fair he, enough you can't remember his name then. That's fair enough, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should, though. I should. Was, oh. now, you know what, Sandy? I reckon you remember his name, but just to get him back, you're not going to say it. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. he's got to learn. He's, he's got to learn. That's right. Next uh, question. Uh, you're a big fan of the Rolling Stones. If you could have dinner with yes. Keith, Mick, Charlie, or Ronnie, who would it be? Keith. Keith, yeah. Done a marvellous job to stay alive. <laughs> he has. He has. He's still <laughs> kicking on. Not the healthiest bloke yeah. in the world, but yeah. Um, what's your favourite song? Jimmy Shelter. Yes, good one. No, uh, your favourite football program to watch at the moment? Front bar. The front bar, yes, that is that is quality. Last yeah. one, Sandy, the important one. Who will win the 2021 Premiership? I was thinking about this this morning. Melbourne, Brisbane or Geelong? Uh... If the best of those three play their absolute best, it might be Geelong. Geelong. All right, Sandy Roberts says Geelong. That is brilliant. Hey, Sandy, you've always been an idol of mine, someone I've respected and admired all of my days of watching footy. So thank you so much for coming on to have a chat, mate. I really, really appreciate it. Pleasure, James. Good to chat with you. Thank you. And I'll remember that Jim Higgs. Jim Higgs. Jim Higgs. There you go. You got him. The spin bowl that came to you. Gave me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, uh, you, you eventually remembered that, and I'll never forget yeah. this, Sandy. So thank you so much, mate, for coming on. Good on you, James. All the best. go time for my second favorite part of the show what a podcast so far Sandy Roberts absolute legend that was fun so you've got to back it up now boys with a good performance in the Monday review panel on a Tuesday we're back on Tuesdays which is nice Gordo Nick how are we I think we're doing better than you, mate. You, well, Nick's, Nick's you sound something. like you're in need of a, a coffee or I a sleep. I do need a or coffee. Maybe I you feel like it's Monday still and it's actually Tuesday. I don't That's know. always the case for Jimmy, though. I'm normally tired out by the time I get bra- background. You love a good coffee. I do. I As do, do I. love a good coffee. But I feel like I'm worn out after a huge show. I've put in a lot of time and effort and energy into it, so you guys have got to lift me back up. Nick's going horribly. The Hawks lost. They did. My God. Well, we're going to get did. to that. I'm I hope it's on your dumps, rundown. Don't worry. I'll be up at some point. In and this last podcast. week, Gordo, I said to him, all week I'm saying North North going to win this. I'm going to tip North on Friday. I said, nah, there's no reason to tip North. You just can't. They, surely they can't win. He goes, nah, they will not win. We can't lose. I know, North. but in hindsight, it was oh, written hind- in the stars. <laughs> it was. You've done it, it. You did it a lot, haven't you, Hawthorne? It's a, it's a it was, trait. It was written in the stars. Stars, the coaches, the North Melbourne coaches, birthday. He was back in his home state of Tasmania and it was just going to happen. Yeah. It was just going to happen. It was bound to happen. The old Jew. Nico so, um, yeah. and Gordo, get set. Who was your hero? Because was it 
uh, David Noble Gordo? It wasn't. He was my highlight, but not Oh, my okay. Hero. Is, he, is your highlight? What's your hero then? My hero, Liam Baker. So Liam Baker, that's a good still one. Still in Nico's headline. He's going to give Dusty all this praise and all this admiration and all this love because everyone loves Dusty. Oh, you read ahead and saw the rundown that Nico's doing. You've gone ahead of the rundown <laughs> no, no, no. a bit to but, start off. Yeah. But I'm going to give some love to Liam Baker, the, un, the unsung hero of Punt Road this year. Mm. So he is like the little, little Mr. Fix It. He's the little lackey that runs around looking after all the big name shoes. Like filling all the gaps, making sure that ship doesn't go down in a, in a sinking in heap. So for the season so far, he's got 21 touches, nine contested, two clearances, three score involvements, three tackles. That's yeah. what he's averaging. That's pretty average. That's yeah. good. That's good, solid AFL footy. This weekend, 33, 16, eight clearances, seven score involvements, six tackles. That's a Dusty-like performance, although Dusty did probably have a bigger performance. And uh, he just proves that Richmond aren't system-based. They're talent acquisition and acquisition-based. Everyone thinks that Richmond is like, just play your role, plug and play. You know, no one's that special. Liam Bank's <laughs> performance proves that these kids are special. Richmond has depth still. Richmond are pretty special. And they've got this club has it worked out that they'll go, no, today's your day, Liam Baker. Today's your day to run through the midfield and show us yeah. that you are top quality talent. He, he did just very- that. And he showed off the depth and uh, good on Richmond and good on the Baker. He is very special. I don't want to go into too much about him, but he was recruited as a small forward and then he got plugged into the back line, played a perfect role there. And then with a midfield that's depleted, he had his opportunity in in the middle and uh, he basically brought it home for the Tigers. I mean, Dusty's going to get the plaudits. He was best on ground, but without Baker, I don't think the Tigers get the job done. So it was absolutely huge. Who's your hero? Well, okay. you stole the words out of my mouth. I was just about to say Dusty. Dusty. Dusty's my oh, hero because without yeah. Dusty, Richmond don't win on Saturday night. That is Saturday true. night either. Yeah. Four goals and 28 touches. Mm. And those goals came at, Big came at an important time. And, yeah, and Richmond, we all know how much they needed to win. That would have a loss would have made them uh, uh, four, and, four and five. Four and five. Mm. So what are they at the moment? Five, five and four. four. Five and four. And they're playing the Lions of the Gabba yeah, on this Friday week. night. So they had to win they had to last win. week, mm. and they needed Dusty to step up. He's the best player in the competition. He hasn't had a great season by his standards, but he stepped up at the right moment and dragged the Tigers over the line. Mm. And re- he, he played a big part in Daniel Rioli's winning goal too. I reckon he's had a great season. When he's been tagged out of it, fair enough. But I, I reckon he's had two, oh, two average great. games. He's had two he's average had, games and the rest season. have been fantastic. But yeah, it was good. And I'm glad to see you highlight um, Dusty and the Tigers because I know you hate them. Um, but what's your highlight, Gordon? My highlight is Noble Noble. So mm. a lot of the times when a cellar dweller gets their first win, the league gets off. Everyone... Everyone's a real cock-a-hoot and everyone's enjoying it heaps and so you should. Yeah. Winning football's fun. But I like the balance that he had. He had yeah. it, he was he was kinda like, I'll enjoy it, I'll have a cheeky smile. It's my birthday I'm in Tassie, as Nick, Nico pointed out. All the reasons why we should have all tipped north. But we're all idiots, so we didn't. And uh but instead he didn't go too over the top. He just said, like, I'm really encouraged that uh, our players finally get that nourishment of what a win feels like. Nourishment, like this is eating your greens. Like winning football is a habit. Let's get into winning habit. He didn't go cocker hood. He didn't go. This is a like reward for all of our tough work. He just went, no, we're a footy club. We're AFL players. We should be winning games. Enjoy what this feels like, and let's win more of them in the future. Yeah. So it's a nice balance from a head coach that's new to the game. Nice. Didn't get sucked into uh, the first win 
on his birthday. That was a good highlight. And I've been really impressed with David Noble the whole time he's been there. In every interview, uh, you know, post, post-game, post pre-game, uh, he's very calculated, he's measured. He doesn't get um, carried away with, with losses or wins, like you mm. said. And even last week, and I was I was strong on honesty, and I like honesty, he was asked the question about the priority pick, and he said, yeah, geez, if it's there, no, yeah, we'll take it. Of course yeah. we will. I think it was just – and some people um, bashed him for that and said, no, you shouldn't say that, you know, you don't – deserve one it's your fault that you're down there of course i don't think they should get one but he was asked the question he said can i give you a question without notice jimmy yeah you always do a lot of a lot of people a lot of uh ruse people are in the media and so uh it's interesting. So David King came out and said, like, it's ridiculous. That's, not the, shim- that's not the Shimbo and Shimbo and Spirit. He's doing it hard, doing yeah, it yeah. tough, doing it without resources. I was listening back to a, an earlier podcast with uh, Brad Scott. And mm-hmm. Brad Scott said the biggest issue he had at North was getting them to not think like the Shimbo and Spirit. Like he wanted, he wanted them to try and believe that they were, they, were, like, they deserved to be there. It wasn't about being the tough underdogs. They were like a proper football club. And so I think David Noble's now at the other end of it was like, well, no, maybe we do need some help. And like, so do you think you need mm. to be true to your club, your club history and believe in the Shinboa spirit and do it tough and do it hard and not take handouts? Or should you just game the system for I what it is? And if you get the handout, get the handout. Yeah, I think it's what's well, David King's opinion that being a shin boner is part of not give, getting a handout. But I don't think that. I think you can still be have the shin boner spirit, be the underdog fight, even if you were given um, the handout. But I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want North to have it. I don't think so. But the, the whole thing was, would David Noble take it if he was offered it? Of course he would. Yeah. Because it's from the AFL. Yeah. But I, I don't think they should go down that path. But anyway, I know. Uh, Nico, what don't was your worry, highlight? I'll get to that. My highlight, um, amongst all the negativity in the footy world at the moment, my highlight was something as simple as Fraser Garrick eating a pie <laughs> in the stands and handing one, out, one off to the bloke in front of him. <laughs> To me, that's just good footy energy. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a nice step back out of the bubble we get caught in, yeah. and just you know, let's appreciate the simple things footy has to offer. So <laughs> I, I really, I really love that. I'm it gonna, reminded me of me, and he, he was eating his pie as well without sauce, which I love. I got a question that notice for you then, Nico. Yeah, are you brave enough to ask Fraser Garrick for his second pie? If you're sitting I in front of be, him, I wouldn't be. But you know, I, I, I love the confidence in the bloke. That was was sitting in front of him, and I also loved Fraser's response as well. Gordo, what was your low light? My low lights tackle tantrums. Oh, what's this? So oh, no. people, what's obviously this? the coaches. Be careful because I'm. You know, I'm not in the best mood at the moment. So be careful what you're going to say. And you know how I feel about tackling <laughs> and holding the ball. What is it now? So I get that the coaches are upset, but isn't this what the AFL wanted? No. No, 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 I'm not saying it's right. Before <laughs> before everyone jumps in me and says, you're the going cause of the podcast corns, and you yeah. don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, go on. It's um, I agree. It, it, it makes – no one knows what's holding the ball, what's prior opportunity. No one knows. I do. The well, AFL. They don't. Umpiring department don't. You shouldn't – yeah. The rule not. does not read quite well, yeah, but we don't need to listen to the coaches about this because the coaches will say this and then say, oh, we, we laid 72 tackles and then we – we didn't get we didn't get just rewards because that's all the tackling sides. And then if we did have a crackdown on holding the ball, the next thing the coaches will do will flip out the other side and be like, "What's the point of even trying to win the ball? We need to try and protect the ball carriers who go and win the ball." And that's the same with like the Jared Healy's of the world that say, "Well, we don't we need more you know leniency around the prior opportunity so that we actually want to go go for the ball instead." We yo-yo between these two opinions every single year on like a six six uh, round rotation. So really, ignore the coaches is what I'm saying about this. Don't listen to the coaches' press conferences. The only people who complain about this are the ones that lose. So 
absolutely listen to the fans. And if the fans don't understand it, we still have a problem. And we do still have a problem. <laughs> but let's not go to the coaches that lose, right, ratting on the weekend saying, oh, we tackled Geelong a whole bunch of times and we still I lost. Don't think if you had a kick straight and had to play no, better, yeah. you would have won the there, game. There's no need to complicate it. If you get caught with the ball and you dispose of it incorrectly without a handball or a kick, it's holding it's the, ball. the ball. It's as it's, simple as that. It doesn't just, need to be any more complicated to what you're going and on I like, about. And I like just Ratton that he it. came out and said it. And it wasn't like a – I mean, yes, he was whinging, but it, it's because if they had have won, maybe he wouldn't have mentioned it. I don't think 100% he, bl- he doesn't. He, doesn't bl- he didn't blame that oh, on the results. But he brought it up because they're kicking, and he, and he admitted that they're kicking. They kicked him out of it. But it's 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 ridiculous. There was – what was there? Four, three? Five, no, five, five holding the ball free kicks in that game. And out of, uh, you know, they had, uh, what was it, 80, 83 and that, and tackles that's what late. leads to your uh, high ridiculous. increase in stoppages as well. And, and the AFL congestion. knew they got it wrong. The AFL knew they got it wrong because on Sunday there was 21 holding the ball free kicks for Melbourne and Carlton. And so th- this these are the games, right? It went uh, in holding the ball free kicks. Four, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 21 on the last game hmm. because they officiated. You can't officiate a game on Sunday different than you do on Friday. Friday, they got it completely wrong. It's normally around your 11, 12 holding the ball free kicks per game if it's a it's a usual tackling game. Yeah, They've completely stuffed so it. What so happened, what happened last obviously week to change the thing? That's what I mean. There's obviously a focus on letting um, – Letting let, it play more. Yeah, but which is stupid because if you want to open up the game more, pay a holding the ball free kick and then it opens up. The second thing was there was a major focus on uh, not 15. So umps are calling it – it's going about 30 metres they're calling not 15. So there's a major focus. So I'm not blaming the umpires here, but I'm blaming the AFL trying to – they do this. They bring in their themes mid-season. Oh, they're trying to crack though, down yeah. on 15 metres. They're trying to crack down on holding the balls. They just totally got it wrong you this know, week. I remember and, that game against uh, – it was the Hawthorne – Hawthorne and the Bulldogs a couple of years ago and Sicily was punished for all those little <laughs> yeah, hits to the chest. Yeah. I'm glad and you got over we it. have not seen another free kick like that paid since that game. That was a joke. What was your low light, Nico, over oh, the weekend? My low light, I think you can guess. It's an obvious one. Mm. It's the Hawks. That, it's the Hawks. You know, I'm heartbroken, really. Uh, As you should be. It was. You should be disgusted. It was also, the most, not one of the most. It was the most embarrassing game I've watched as a Hawthorne supporter, wow. and I have seen a few. Don't worry about that. You, yeah. A lot of people say I've lived a privileged life with the premierships and grand finals. I've yeah, seen. I wouldn't say a lot. You've had a few. You've watched my, that have been bad. My childhood was all about Hawthorne being at the bottom of the ladder. You're, um, you're, you're talking anyway. to a podcast that has two other Richmond fans, so let's not. I know, okay. I know, I know. But I'm yeah. just saying, I have seen them, and this was by far. The worst that I've ever seen. The worst. Came out firing with five goals. You know, mm. I'm like, oh, we could be on here. We could have a big win for once. Could be. And then, you know, we had eight by half time. I was like, okay, North is slowly getting into it. Let's see what we can do in the second half. And then to only kick four goals for the rest of the game against North Melbourne of against all teams North is just embarrassing. And Jager O'Meara came out and summed it up pretty well after the game, gave an honest review and said it was embarrassing and he was embarrassed by his own personal performance because the midfield group got smashed got by smashed. 20 clearances. Well, the, you, Cunning, that's what the difference Cunnington, was. Cunnington, Davis, Uniac, Simpkin combined for 37 clearances. Hawks had 29 as a team. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, and Mitchell, McAvoy, Warple, Wingard, O'Meara in that in that team. And, and look, and, and for some reason, after that interview with Jago, a lot of Hawthorne yeah. supporters came out and said, that's why he should be captain. He's given honest reviews. And I'm sitting here thinking, mm. 
that, an honest review, that's exactly what I'd expect after a disgraceful performance like that. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean he should be captain. I, I think big boy coming in as captain was, it's obvious that he was a stopgap. And that, that to me tells me that there's no certainty on the future of anyone over the age of 25 at Hawthorne at the moment, except maybe Sicily. Mm. There is issues across all the lines. I think the defense is probably has the most promise, but the midfield forwards rucks, uh, they're just in dire at the moment. Yeah. A lot of players are out of contract at the end of the year and there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. You want to ship them out. Nick, I, I said to you last week and you got offended. I said, Nick, uh, Hawthorne are two years behind where they should have been because in 2018, they misread where they were at. They finished fourth. Correct me if I'm wrong. They finished yes, fourth they and they probably shouldn't have. They, that wasn't where they were at. And good on, for, good on them for making it, but they weren't the fourth best team in the competition. And so they tried to top up. They had Scully. They had Wingard. And then they went down that path. I know John Patton come in and you're saying you gave up nothing for these guys. That's fair enough. But you're putting time and energy into topping up and more time and energy on mature mature players rather than your youngsters and getting draft picks. And in the past, you gave up draft picks. You probably shouldn't. So you're in a, in a stage now where you shouldn't be. It's too late. And you're going down at an alarming rate. Absolutely. Well, now you um, agree. I told you. No, 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 no. I, I you abused agree. me last week. So no, hang on. So two, two or three weeks ago, we before your conversation, Jimmy, mm. we also had the Kane Corns hot take about Hawthorne are worse off than North Melbourne. They have no A graders, to which you came to a startling defence of Hawthorne. I don't think and that's said, true There entirely. you go. So mm. if that's the case, this is a bad loss, yeah? We all agree. Is, yeah. Terrible loss. Hawthorne fans are upset because they expect better of their club. But isn't this where your club's at? It uh, is. If we all take a deep breath... This is not that much of a shock. You didn't get beaten by 50 points by North. You lost a game in Tassie to North on the coach's birthday. They have to win one eventually, and you give up You give up these games. You give up no, you gave the game to Adelaide last I'd year. I'd expect to win this game. You would expect yeah. to, yeah. but is, is it really that mind-blowing that it happened? Well, are you, are you really that far behind? The massive lead. That you've, it is, in 2017, Nico spoke about it yesterday. after quarter time, Gordon, Je- I think, is what the worst thing. Yeah, the mental cl- yeah. yeah. And, and Jeff Kennett released that that uh, the strategic plan that stated the club was aiming for two flags and 100,000 members by 2022. You're not getting either of those. Yeah. No. And then seven premierships by 2050. But even that strategic plan in 2017, that said the window was now. You wanted two flags by 2022. So I think that the club misread where they're actually at. And what that brings me to is I think that Collingwood are at a stage now where they have to decide on their future. Otherwise, they're at risk of going down a similar path. Mm. Let's get to our tweet. I think, yeah, did I ask you about Yeah, yeah, I did. You waffled on it about the umpire crap. Um, <laughs> we'll get to the tweets. Uh, Dario, he said, how can we fix holding the ball, which we basically just talked about. And it needs to be a simple solution. So we need to, like, do we take the simplest one? What's that? Team prior. Team pri- Why can't we just go back to how it always was and that if you drop the ball, you don't kick it or you handball it. It's I think dropping it's pretty the ball. obvious. I don't, like I just, it's hard. It's, yeah. When so, you're watching a game, you can <sighs> – So, again, like, name, like names of rules probably doesn't matter too much, but it does for fans – so, like, when you explain this, like, when you drop the ball, you get done for holding the ball. Now, that yes, doesn't make logical sense. It does because you're holding no, 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 on no, 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 the ball It for makes too logical long. sense to you, Nico, because you talk about football, you watch football. But when you think about it in your head, it's not holding the ball, it's incorrect disposal. No, you're holding on to the ball for too long. 
No, no, but if you, you throw caught. it, if you throw it in a tackle, it or all whatever, ties into yeah. the Either one. one. Correct. Disposal to li- or, so or holding to, the ball. They need to just the have same umbrella a, now. They need to they need to clear that up and just have one simple rule that everyone can understand from a seven year old who's watching his first game of footy to the umpires who clearly have yeah. no idea. We, how we spoke about that. The second one was a deliberate. Uh, Dario says, "How can they fix deliberate? It's a joke of a rule in the Eagles game where Sloan was getting tackled. His arms were pinned. He couldn't do much. Gets a boot on it." While he's getting tackled, it's called for deliberate. What happened to common sense? And I agree, it's not deliberate anymore. And even if you shank and it and it goes out of bounds, you're in danger. You're in danger, and I think it's too much. I mean, I don't mind. That's, that one doesn't piss me off as much as the, the holding the ball because, you know, you like to see the game flowing. But some common sense, I think, is is lacked. And it's a hard game to officiate, I know. And I, I always say this, I, it's, I hate bagging the umps, which yeah, I don't yeah. tweet about it, but I'll say it in this show, I don't care. Because yeah. it's, it's, they have to be held accountable sometimes. It's hard to watch. There you, you know? go. The holding the ball agree. one, yeah. And the deliberate one, again, just call it something else. Like maybe, again, we go from it's not deliberate out of bounds, it's you didn't keep it in play or yeah. whatever. No yeah. attempt to keep it in play or whatever. Yeah, just for the holding the ball, there was 1,162 tackles on the weekend, 88 free kicks. For holding the ball or throws, is that now? That's all well and good as a single off. And that, and that, is that against the trend of the year? Yeah, no, it is. It's yeah. against the trend of the year. But, but the only thing that helped it even more was that twenty-one free kicks from Melbourne and Carlton. Yeah. So the like I said, the average you're normally getting about ten, eleven holding the ball free kicks per game. We had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six games out of the nine that were below that. Yeah. So they were letting it go for more. Um. His third question was, Cam Mooney said the top four is set. Do you boys agree on the top four being set? I do agree. Personally, That's I do agree. I don't see anyone dropping out. Yeah. I agree with the top Surely four. Surely it's yeah. too soon. Melbourne, Melbourne Bulldogs, Geelong, Brisbane. Melbourne Bulldogs are ahead enough to probably stay top four. Yeah. Then you've got Geelong, Brisbane, Port, Sydney, West Coast, all on 24 points and then Richmond on 20. Mm. That's, that's so too, too early to It's too early for you. It's too early for you, Nico. No, I agree with the top four. You agree with it? Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I think it's, it is very, very early. It I is think early. A, and we've seen... If Richmond know, does what change. Richmond normally does after the bye and win basically every game after the bye, yeah. they finish up full. I mean, there's... there's uh, That's a big if. You know, teams go game. through phases and when a couple of injuries happen yeah. or, you know, we're nine games in, so... Yeah, almost halfway through. Yeah, almost half. I, I think a lot can happen, and like little things like Nico, you were riding off Geelong after round two or three, and the way they were playing. I still footy. don't think they and can win just, the premiership. That, but that's, that's fine. fine. But I'm yeah. just saying, for example, a lot of people didn't see them playing the way they they are now. It can happen. You know, a couple I, of games. I, can, no, I did say. You said they, they were will still make They were top playing four. bad I footy. Said, they were always going to lose. They no, can't, they I, can't you're putting words in my mouth now. Is, I said, I yeah, said they will the still whole. make top four. They will still win games. They'll still win games well, but I don't think they'll win the premiership. Mm. That's okay. It. No, that, that's fair yeah. enough. Gordo was writing them off, saying they're hopeless. I, I, I definitely had them fat. as my uh, my favorite for the flag. Actually, Jimmy, but uh, hey. I, it, you know, <laughs> this is interesting because the difficulty for the remaining uh, the remaining games in terms of fixturing uh, for these teams, the most difficult fixture is Melbourne, who are on top. They've got the most difficult fixture coming up. Richmond has the easiest coming up, right? So. Things can change. We did say <laughs> this. We did say this for the first six weeks. Who have Melbourne beaten? La di da da. Now uh, they're nine and zero. Jeez, you're so you still don't believe in Melbourne, Gordo. Well, to use Nico's uh, line of thought, they'll obviously finish top four. It's going to be pretty hard to miss out from nine and zero. But mm. are they my flag favourites? Absolutely not. Who are your flag favourites? Geelong, still Geelong. Okay, there you go. All right, uh, Josh Toth had one, and he was back at you, Cornsy. All right, Gordo, please explain how if something has always been a problem that 
that means it doesn't need to be fixed. You guys spoke about low crowd numbers and it needs to be more. Well, maybe make it possible to get to the footy. We even put out predictions of how many people are going to be at the game. So how about provide the correct amount of transportation? It's about the whole experience of going to the footy, not just the game. And I agree with him. And last week um, he brought up the the point that the transportation from games is not good enough. There's not enough trains. We're packed. It's bad. And your response was, oh, it's always been like that. So tough. Well, again, I I don't think either of us have looked at the train fixturing or the train uh, supply or rung up Metro or done any of that stuff. So like, I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to sit here and argue the toss about just let's just get more trains. Like I don't, I don't know the numbers on like how much does it cost to have an extra train for three but hours a that, day. But, or- yeah, but there needs to be something done. I mean, it, just because it, like it is, it's been a problem for ages, and surely we know people are going back to the the footy. But we don't. They're not going back trains. this year. Well, we are. We are, and they're encouraging people. Yeah. And maybe, and you're saying maybe they're not going back because of the transportation That's and fine. how bad it is. It's been bad, and we look at other countries how good it is their their train systems. Why can't we work it out, Gordo? As an us the, the too, whole, or the, yeah, no, us too. Let's just go and protest. Why don't you go and protest about that? The yeah. whole transportation in Victoria is the worst. It's up there with one it's of terrible. the worst in the world. It is. It is. It's, it's the reason why Melbourne lost its the most trains. livable city. Um, yeah, cuddle. absolutely. Because, because of the transportation. That's the one that. thing yeah. that people hate. The one thing is the transportation. It's shocking. Jimmy, you and I know best that if there's an accident on the freeway, you know, the whole state comes to a standstill. Yeah, in the car. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. talking about trains. We're talking about trains. So that's okay. I know. I'm, I, just, <laughs> no, I'm I said trying to the link whole, the two. Yeah. I said oh, like as a moment ago, whole, the, the whole transportation system. The whole transportation in Victoria <laughs> okay. is a problem. No, I was trying to think not about linking it to trains. I think the only way it gets fixed in like a in a snap of the fingers if the AFL pays for the trains, basically. Like there has to be a cost benefit analysis from the Victorian government. Blah 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 blah. And that will take forever. It always takes forever. So if you want more trains, the AFL, you have to protest the AFL and say, AFL, do a deal with Metro. Well, we should do pay that. Pay for the trains. Do a deal with Metro. Do it. Organise it because you're stopping people from going to the game because of how hard it is to get there. I've got a question for you, boys. Is Marvel Stadium that bad? Yes. So we heard Dimmer. Absolutely. <laughs> we heard Dimmer complaining about saying that uh, he hates going there and there were low crowd numbers on the weekend. Yeah. Um, I second is it that completely. bad? Mate, well, firstly, it's got the MCG to compete with. Yep. Um, but, yeah, the Marvel Stadium's outdated. It's the only thing they've changed in the years gone by is the name and the, and the buildings around the ground as well. There's limited parking. It takes people like me two trains to get there. The scoreboard is tiny compared to the MCG. The turf is rubbish, always has been. Um, couple that with the exorbitant food and drink prices, which doesn't do them any favours. Mm. So, I've I've never enjoyed going there, and if you want to, if you want to learn how to build a good stadium, take a leap out of Optus Stadium at and Adelaide Oval. They 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 built those stadiums for the atmosphere and fan experience, and they are what they like to call themselves fan first stadiums. Optus Sport has four G coverage around the ground, the largest screens in Australia, cup holders on every seat, the seats are all spaced out as well, LED lighting for the light shows. Um, and it was designed for future capacity increases as well. They can increase the stadium up to 10,000 seats without with the existing structure. Strong. Very strong, Nick. You can't do that Thanks. with Etihad Stadium. They didn't build for the future. Strong. And now it's outdated. Very strong. Yep. Gordo, you agree? I agree. It's hard, oh, it's yeah. hard to compete with the MCG. But the MCG is arguably one of the top six stadiums in the world. Yeah, you know, yeah. And so I understand, I, I understand, but like so – 
My issue here with with Dimmer saying like just fixture our home games at the at the MCG. And so he doesn't sound well, like that. That's yeah. all well and good, Dimmer. <laughs> but if you want your clip of the money from the AFL you get every year, like every other club does, then you have to do things for the AFL like they do for you. So that part of that deal is making sure that enough games are played at Marvel, so the AFL gets their clip, so that you get the money back through how how all that budgeting and PLs work. And if you want to shout at me, listeners, I'll go get the figures for you and I'll put it up on Twitter yeah, so well, you can read through it. Why don't they just bulldoze, bulldoze Marvel? <laughs> Honestly. That's what, what Neil what? Mitchell said the other morning. He goes, yeah. just bulldoze it. You the thing is, different to the MCG. Um, you don't want another stadium yeah, in the city. Like, I would happily see them go back to the suburban grounds. Absolutely. Play at suburban grounds and then play at the MCG and that's it. Don't have Marvel. Well, even don't just, have this in-between one stadium. Suburban gr- one suburban yeah. ground for the lower crowds, the ones where you play the interstate teams. Like Optus Oval or whatever it's called now, Princess Park. Icon Park, yep. Icon, Icon Park. Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, look, Dimmit had a point and he does always, he backs up the fans, he backs up the club yeah. and he wants his home games at the MCG. We all do. Um, unfortunately, we have to understand that sometimes we need to play at Marvel Stadium because the AFL owns that stadium no, and they're going to schedule games there. It is no a waste. What. It and is a waste though. Yeah, like I'm not a fan of the stadium either, but at, at the same time, you know, without that stadium, the AFL wouldn't be where it is now because when they went to the bank last year, obviously, and tried to loan money to keep our sport alive, that's an asset that they used yeah. to loan money. So, so we own this so one, yeah. It's kind of like, this. I mean, in the future, oh, no, when no. the money's paid back and we're all sweet, yeah. We don't, but at, I can understand yeah. why games are scheduled there at the moment because the they moment, need that income. Oh, and definitely, um, I think this is a bit of dinner. Like Richmond needs something to kickstart their season again and he's he's delving into the us versus them again. Yeah, and that's fine. And that's what that's he's good. doing. That's, that's fine because if someone had to ask Dimmer properly, like, is this what you actually think? He'd be like, no, we understand the financials, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he blah, would. Blah. I mean, Dimmer, Dimmer usually, and it, is, it was at the end of the press conference, like yeah. he knows what he's saying most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I don't mind. It is a bit of a PR exercise to get more of our home games at the MCG, which I don't mind. So that's right. A second one. It is, wasn't already enough, that is. <laughs> Yeah. That's another topic. That's another topic. That's fine. I mean, everyone complains. I mean, oh, well, oh, interstate, like interstate clubs are complaining. Every second week they get their own home fans. They get the free kicks in uh, favour. They get those 50-50 calls. But Richmond no, only Richmond, gets it 75% of the time. Richmond so. at the MCG is a big issue. All right. Uh, Tom Liberatore, is he the most underrated player in the competition right who, now? Who, sorry? Tom Liberatore. Uh, yeah, he would be up there. Did you I'm say on, who? Did you read the rundown? I thought you said Tom Lynch for a second. <laughs> I thought you said Tom Lynch. Um, That's good. I yeah, like no. when you don't read the rundown because it's straight, you know, off the bat. You don't think about it. So yeah, just that's go. it. Yeah, I mean, in the Bulldogs midfield, uh, we know how stacked it is. So he's obviously yeah. not the name. Uh, yeah, the name at the top of the list in that midfield group. So yeah. obviously he's overshadowed so a fair bit over in the comp. In Most, the comp, no. Yeah, oh, yeah, he would be up there. Yeah, he would be up there. Is he underrated? Or is he appropriately rated? No, I think he's underrated. I think if you if you had a look at his stats, so he's, he's had 20 contested possessions against Port, but he's averaging 15 per game. But it's his clearance work yeah. that's the most underrated. Now, he's on track now to get over 200 clearances this season. The only person who has done that is Brett Ratton in 1999. He got 265. Those are the numbers you don't see. And there was a few highlights on the weekend, right, of Bontempelli kicking that goal. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Amazing and goal. Liber, and Liber the set one Liber yeah. set it up, and how many he sets up. He goes a workhorse underneath the packs, gets a little hands out. The hard work. And I can remember one of his first game back after he had a long injury, and he was exhausted, sweating out of exhaustion, dazed. He was wobbling around, but he kept fighting. Repeat efforts, and not many people 
talk about that. And I was glad to see that people were talking about it this week. That's what I mean, Leber. though. So everyone's talking about him this week. So not like, everyone. Is he really that underrated? Do you know his, but not everyone knows his stats. Not everyone knows he's on track for more everyone than 20 clearances. Yeah, all right, fair enough. You know what? As I was writing this, I reckon that Brandon Stasevich is the most underrated player in the comp. And you guys looking at me like, who the hell is that? Yeah, there you go. Well, that's, that's an underrated, I, that's no, an underrated I, player. I, I you know who he is. Yeah. He, play, he plays for Brisbane and he takes the best small forward every week. He, well, he was the reason why Alex Witherden uh, got shipped off to West Coast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He He's played unbelievable form. He's kept Michael Walters to one goal from seven disposals the week before. Tom Papley, one goal. Jordan DeGoey, one goal. Tippin Woody, one goal. Robbie Gray, one goal. Eddie Betts, none. He kicked four behinds that game, but that's okay. But no goals. Mm. Still, on the weekend, had 20 touches, 10 marks. All Australian team, watch him. He's underrated. Yeah, that's underrated. That's underrated. That's what I like to see. There you go. Is St Kilda lucky or just bad? And last week, and I couldn't sleep Unlucky. at night during the week when Gordo said they were irrelevant. I got offended for St Kilda fans saying they were irrelevant. And then on Friday night, they played pretty well, mate. I know they didn't kick the goals, but come on. You're going to say that they are an irrelevant team. Gordo? Did they beat Geelong? It doesn't matter. They're not irrelevant. It does does matter. <laughs> Where are they? On if the they were, are they in the eight? <laughs> They've had a lot of. Are they a chance to play finals been, this doesn't year? Matter. They've been unlucky. It They're does not matter. We, you said on this podcast about half an hour ago that clubs need to know where they're at. Yeah, they're Saint not. St Kilda thinks they're a final side. Okay. They are not playing like a final side. That's irrelevancy. All right. Because in five years' time, when they went there, they go, "Oh, we got Brad Hill in." We got Hanabry in. We topped up when we shouldn't have. We should have gone back and got the draft picks. We didn't do it. They'll be they'll be the Hawthorne. When we're oh. doing this podcast in three or four years' time, we'll be going, oh, St Kilda missed a trip there when they topped up and they should have done a rebuild. Just without no. the premierships. No, yeah, no, without no. the premierships. See, I still think I still think they've got – so say they don't make finals this year because they probably won't. No, they, they they'll could. still be in the window. You can never know. They're still in the window next year because they've got so many injuries that are under – you don't rate them because of those injuries. When they get those players back who they're missing – they are a competitive team and they showed they're competitive on Friday and I know that they lost. And bad kicking is bad football. But last year they were the second most accurate team in the competition. This year they're the second worst. Yeah. Okay, they flew up their accuracy. And if they when find they in po- between, because they, they will revert back to the mean. That's how goal kicking works. It's usually 55%. They're going to revert back to straight goal kicking. And they'll kicking. still be ninth. It, it doesn't matter. I don't think they're irrelevant. I think that was a harsh call. And they're, they're going to miss Marshall now. So they're not, you know, they're going to lose games that they should win. They've got Paddy Ryder and Marshall there together. You're telling me that they're relevant even they're going to lose games they should win? No, not that they should win. I'm saying they're, they're going to lose games because of injuries. Yeah. Uh, that's very hard. I mean, oh, okay, that is come very, on. very hard. Losing to Essendon by not 75 points is not because of injuries or luck or bad luck. It's right, just bad very football. Hard, They're very just not hard. that good. Just not good. Just not good. They Put could have managed time. this situation to be better. It's very strong from you boys. Last one. Did the media go too easy on Collingwood after Saturday's loss? They haven't really taken a break on Collingwood in the last six this months. Can you go any honest. harder? No, this week they took a break. No, yeah, they took a break because I think Hawthorne saved them this week. <laughs> yeah, Hawthorne the topic of discussion. Oh, that's the honest truth. Yeah, they kicked, one, it for they kicked one goal up in three quarters. Um which is so, not, which is nothing new though. We know, like, how many times can we keep writing? Yeah, I know. You Collingwood know. stink because yeah. they still. St- oh, check. Yep, they still stink. They were Round pretty 11, bad on the weekend. Still stink. They were pretty bad. Weren't Round they? twelve, they'll still stink. They're pretty bad. The thing was, they started well, right? But Sydney had eight tackles in that first quarter, right? Eight tackles, so no pressure. Collingwood yeah. did okay. Thirty-five tackles in the second quarter. Si- 35. But how, many, but how many holding the balls? That, oh, not enough. That's the thirty-five tackles. So what that means is when the pressure's on. Collingwood can't play well. Yeah, they've got they've got problems in their forward line. They've got problems with their players at the moment because problems they don't in know. The midfield, problems I mean, with their leaders. They've got they've got problems everywhere. Salary cap. 
I think the thing that they need to do, contracts, is they need to give their players some guarantees. Now, what does this mean to you, Gordo? Because they've approached Justin Lepic to come on, I think, in two positions, but one of them was an assistant coach. How could you give an assistant coach a position without knowing who the senior coach was next year? Oh, they, they need so to, they know, they need do to they let know, people know. Do they know they that Nathan Buckley is going to be there? I think that's what it's looking like. Yeah, okay. But they should just come out right now. And say Bucks has re-signed for two years. If that's what they're going to do, well, that's the thing. They've got to make a decision now because at the moment the older players don't know what they're yeah. doing. Do we stay you want on? To lock those older players in. As <laughs> Who well. are we playing for next year? Are we playing for ourselves? Or are we playing for our teammates? Yeah. The younger don't players think. don't know the direction of the club yeah. yet, and they've got the, the thing is they've got this Mark Corder, Jeff Brown thing going on in the background, yeah. right? And Mark Corder's the president that, that's coming in as acting president now. He's the same person that's been in the, in the board for a long time. There's no changes at Collingwood. If Jeff Brown comes in, that's a new face. They can probably sell it. Hey, we're starting fresh. We're either re-signing Bucks with a new direction or we're going with another that, coach. That would be a mistake to re-sign Bucks. I don't think he's there next year, okay. to be honest. All right. That's well, fine. Well, then he needs to, t- they need to tell us now as well. They need to tell us now. They may as well sack him tonight. <laughs> like, that's like, what's the point? What's yeah. the point keeping him? Probably if, if waiting for someone to become available. But even though, well, that's have, a, have a caretaker coach. Matt, Matty Lapp has said a couple of weeks here. I want to rush into if it. Bucks, no if need. Bucks knows he's lost the players, he would walk away. Um, I don't know. They need a direction. They need to know. Like they need to know what they're doing. Yeah. That's the whole point. If they, they, they finish in the bottom, and they look like they're just that's aimless. Aimless at the moment. It does. So there we go. We made up for the lack of <laughs> the lack of heat on Collingwood over the weekend there. Yeah. Hashtag the gym session. Please get involved in the show. We really appreciate you listening and uh, we really appreciate Sandy Roberts coming on to give us an insight to a wonderful career. Uh, thank you, boys, for jumping on and we'll chat again next week. Ciao. Sure. See ya.